0: Hello, and welcome to Wilderness Medicine Updates, the show for providers at the edges. I'm your host, Patrick Fink, and today we're talking about methoxyflurane for pre-hospital analgesia. We're going to be talking about a study called the Usability and Effectiveness of Inhaled Methoxyflurane for Pre-Hospital Analgesia, a Prospective Observational Study. And this is by Trimmel et al. in BMC Emergency Medicine, an open access article that you can find a link to down in the show notes. We're gonna begin with some background here. So it's important to treat pain in the pre-hospital environment, but there are a lot of challenges to treating pain. It's hard to assess, is the first. The second is that there are innumerable different ways to treat pain, and basically all of them have some kind of downside. For example, opioids may be withheld from uh, treatment of patients due to concerns about respiratory depression or inciting abuse, whereas NSAIDs or acetaminophen are generally considered to be slower and less potent, even though that may not be true, and so we might not use those thinking perhaps they're not going to be effective. There are also a lot of different ways to administer drugs, and not all of them are well-suited to pre-hospital use or specifically to Mountain Rescue or more challenging environments. Namely, medications that are given by IV can be limited by the skill of the provider to place that IV under challenging conditions, such as when veins are hard to find, the patient is dehydrated, it's a cold environment, or you might have to expose the patient in a way that you don't want to, like getting an arm out of the jacket when the patient is in a snowy or cold environment and you would prefer to keep them sheltered. So the basis for this study is that we need analgesics that are safe, easy to use, and ideally can be given without a physician present because most models in the United States involve, at best, EMS, a paramedic, Um, rarely is there a physician present to treat that patient. So some modalities have benefits, like intranasal medications we talked about on episode one are nice because you don't have to start that IV. You can just give it up the nose, but they're uncomfortable. The dosing is variable because of patients swallowing medications, and so it can be a little bit of an unpredictable modality inhaled medications might be a good alternative so that would be uh, nitrous oxide or methoxyflurane and we'll talk about those in just a second um, because there is no need to establish an iv and they might be more consistent in their dosing than intranasal meds so right now currently there are two main available inhaled medications for use pre-hospitally in the english-speaking world and those are nitrous oxide and methoxyflurane Entinox is the brand name mixture of nitrous oxide mixed 50-50 with pure oxygen gas in a cylinder, and it's far more common, particularly in North America, than methoxyflurane. Methoxyflurane is not currently available in the U.S. and has only recently come into use in Europe. Now, Entinox, this mix of nitrous oxide and oxygen, has its downsides. One is... It requires a high-pressure tank. They're big, they're heavy, they're hard to store. You need to monitor the patient while administering these medications because of the potential for hypoxia, and it's more challenging to use. There are also challenges when using nitrous oxide in a cold environment because at very cold temperatures, the gases can separate within the cylinder, and that can lead to relative hypoxia, which is dangerous to the patient. So enter methoxyflurane. Methoxyflurane is a volatile anesthetic agent comparable to what might be used in an operating room today, like sevoflurane, for example. It was once used for general anesthesia, but it is not used anymore due to hepatotoxicity and other concerns when using it at the higher doses and longer durations that are required for general anesthesia. However, at low doses, it provides a purely analgesic effect that to date has been studied in more than 200,000 patients without any serious side effects. When this is administered for pain, it's administered using a small inhaler device. These are marketed under the name Penthrop inhalers, and it's essentially a tube that has a wick inside of it, and a fixed dose of methoxyflurane liquid is poured onto that wick, and when you inhale through the inhaler, that air is drawn across the wick, and you inhale the gas, and then exhaled air containing any residual gas passes through a filter chamber across activated charcoal. Penthrop has been used by paramedic services in Australia since 1975 and in New Zealand since 2002, but it only recently entered Eastern Europe in 2010. There have been in-hospital randomized trials of its use in emergency departments in both Spain and France as well as Italy, but there has not been a study of its pre-hospital use in Europe, and so that was the aim of this study by Tremel et al., to essentially replicate what has been done down under and evaluate whether pre-hospital administration of methoxy is safe, effective, and suited to the needs of their EMS service, ideally so that they could then recommend it for use without a physician present. So let's talk about this study. This was a study out of six ground-based EMS and six air ambulance stations in Austria, and the providers who were administering the medications were all emergency physicians. They treated patients who had pain due to trauma with pain scores greater than or equal to four, which they define as moderate to severe pain, and they needed to be fully conscious and consentable. The important exclusions were cardiovascular instability, respiratory depression, intoxication, renal or hepatic impairment, expected need to go to the operating room for general anesthesia or an expected need for sedation, patients who are on opioids for chronic pain, or anyone who had a personal or family history of problems with anesthetics such as malignant hyperthermia. They had planned to recruit 210 patients, however they stopped at 109 after reaching their interim analysis point. That was because COVID had arrived and had essentially halted the study, but they had reached A sufficient number of patients to perform an analysis. The intervention that they gave was a three milliliter standard dose of methoxyflurane in an inhaler given over no longer than 30 minutes. If the patient's pain score was not reduced by at least three points at 10 minutes, other medications were then given by IV at the discretion of the treating physician. So, what did they find? Ultimately, they treated 109 patients, 50 of whom were women, so reasonably balanced groups. The median pain score on initial evaluation was 8 points. So these patients were in a fair bit of pain, and they saw that it fell to 4 points at 15 minutes, with a confidence interval ranging from 3 to 5. The median time to reduction of pain was 3 to 5 minutes, and there was no difference in time based on what the injury was or the reason for the EMS call-out. Adequate analgesia, which they defined as a decrease of 4 points or more, was achieved in 61.5% of patients, and all but one of the remaining patients received additional IV pain medications, so that's around 39%. The efficacy of the penthrox was significantly affected by the age of the patient. This is interesting. Younger patients were more likely to require more medication, while older patients did well with just penthox. For example, 61% of patients 18 to 30 years of age needed supplementary medications compared to 18% of those over 65 and 11% of those over the age of 80, and this was a significant difference between these groups. The authors explain this difference between young folks and old folks in their response to penthrox on the basis that the minimum alveolar concentration, or the MAC, of all inhaled anesthetics decline with age. And MAC is a way of describing the amount of an anesthetic that is going to be required to achieve general anesthesia. And it's basically a way of saying that general anesthetics are, in general, more potent in older people. They didn't observe any differences in response to penthrop on the basis of sex, BMI, or the reason that they were called out. When they looked at the vital signs of these patients, both pre- and post-treatment, what they found was before treatment, they were generally mildly hypertensive and borderline tachycardic, and their vital signs normalized after treatment, which suggests that these vital sign derangements were due to pain. And that seems appropriate, given that they were trying to recruit people for this study without significant cardiopulmonary or hemodynamic instability. Of those treated with Penthox, 53% of the patients described side effects, but most of them were mild. Only in one case was the therapy stopped on account of side effects. So the most common things were 21% said that they felt dizzy, 10% said that they felt confused, 9% quote, feeling drunk or inebriated, 1 out of 20 disliked the taste or smell, and 4% of them had nausea, but there was no vomiting in the group. So what can we take away from this? I think it's safe to say that when used for moderate to severe acute traumatic pain in otherwise stable patients, penthrox is safe and effective. And in many patients, it might be completely adequate for analgesia in isolation without the need for other medications. No significant side effects or concerns were noted, and younger patients are more likely to require additional medications or supplementary meds. Though other studies have shown that methoxyflurane is less effective than IV or intranasal opioids, the ease of administration and the lack of restriction, as there is with opioids, suggests that penthrox has significant utility for pre-hospital use. The authors also suggest that penthrox may be well suited to mountain rescue and other remote applications where the arrival of a physician may be delayed or where obtaining and maintaining an IV may be difficult. And that seems quite true. Now, what are the weaknesses here? It's a non randomized observational study, so it's generally more subject to confounding and there's no control here. However, the efficacy of methoxyflurane has already been described in comparison to placebo elsewhere. And this study is a reasonable demonstration of applicability and seems reasonably generalizable as well in that they're treating patients as we would treat patients. The worry that pain reduction could be due to some hocus-pocus magic of a stinky inhaler rather than the effect of the medication itself is less of a worry because it appears to be pretty harmless in a stable trauma patient. So if it is acting by placebo, it's still acting effectively. That said, the number of patients in this study is small, so the likelihood of capturing rare side effects is limited, and I'd like to see some larger numbers. There are around 200,000 patients who've been treated with methoxyflurane and reported in the literature, and none of them have had serious side effects, like malignant hyperthermia. So my bottom line here, Penthox has been used pre-hospitally down under for going on 50 years, and the rest of the English-speaking world is just catching on. This seems to be a safe, rapid, and efficacious medical treatment for acute pain, and I look forward to its approval and study in the USA. If anyone's doing the work to make that happen, reach out. I'd love to help. ClinicalTrials.gov currently shows a single North American feasibility study recruiting patients in Ontario, Canada, but nothing else. Let's make it happen. In the meantime, more research is needed as to its safety in patients with unstable vital signs or cardiopulmonary compromise. With regards to its use for wilderness medicine, there are concerns that methoxyflurane may not work as well at high altitudes like nitrous oxide, but initial lab work has shown that it should still work as intended. The effect of low temperatures on device performance and the drug's effectiveness in different environments still needs to be studied, but there is one case study that showed that methoxyflurane can provide pain relief and sedation at high altitudes up to 4,470 meters in that case compared to IV opiates and acetaminophen or paracetamol, it has a more rapid onset and can provide equal or better initial pain relief. Its ease of use and portability make it suitable for use in remote and difficult conditions, and the rapid onset of pain relief and the low number of side effects make it a useful option for temporary pain relief and short-term pain relief in austere settings. As a closing note, I'm also happy to say that Penthrox is updating its inhaler model. The old one looks like it was designed on a piece of graph paper and then put together by some engineering students. The new inhaler is a much more integrated model that has the dose of methoxyfluorine contained inside of it, which limits some of the problems with potentially spilling the medication when filling the inhaler or limiting the unpleasant smell of the inhaler in closed environments like an EMS rig or uh, in a helicopter. Unfortunately, The new device is called the Penthox Inhaler Selfie, which I think is a really dumb name. Uh, But we have included some pictures of the Penthox Inhaler Selfie for you in the show notes, as it was shown in this study. So good job, Pentrox, on updating that inhaler. Bad job on the naming. So that's it for today. Please, if you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, give it a five-star rating and review and tell your friends, your Wilderness Medicine interest group, or your fellow residents. And if you want to hear more about a particular topic or you have any questions, reach out to me through email at wildernessmedicineupdates at gmail or reach out to us at wildmedupdates on Twitter. And that's all for now. Until next time, stay fit, stay focused, stay ready, and have fun. This is written, hosted, and produced by Patrick Fink, MD, All Rights Reserved. Our music is produced by Nathan Fink. Any information included on this podcast is for your education only and does not constitute medical advice and does not constitute any patient relationship between you, our listener, and any other producers, hosts, or guests of the podcast.